everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Cause he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway, and together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this spring weekend. This is great. We've got a great show lined up for you, too. Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets is going to join us. We're going to talk about planting your herb gardens and more. Uh, D.C. Central Kitchen CEO Mike Curtin is a guy that's very used to being out there shaking hands, rubbing shoulders to raise awareness and money for D.C. Central Kitchen and all the good that it does in the community. COVID put a crimp on that, uh, but uh, uh, COVID is starting to wane a little with more shots being given. So we're going to hear from Mike and find out what the last year has been like for DC Central Kitchen and what they're working on now. Um, You can rejoice because the Yardbird has landed. That's Yardbird Southern Table and Bar, the James Beard-nominated Miami-based American restaurant is opening up in in DC. Um, It's um, open. Oh, they just opened April 1st. Sorry. and, uh, you know, with all the restaurant closings during the pandemic, it's great that uh, we're starting to get some new life and new blood. We're going to have uh, the corporate executive chef, uh, Patrick Redholtz, on with us to tell us all about it. And um, uh, Wesley Mannings, who's the owner of Sui Generis Cocktailers, is going to be joining us as well. During uh, the COVID summer, he and his partner have been doing cocktail classes interactively online. Um, they're still doing that, but some of that is going to change, and we're going to hear about the kinds of cocktails they're doing. And uh, as it has so many times in the past, Eden's Union Market District is leading the way in fostering the growth of new retail concepts. And a case in point is the gift shop. It's Washington's first retailer for discovering and appreciating uh, Black-owned lifestyle and home goods brands and makers. Gary Williams, Jr. of the Creative Theory Marketing Agency that helped thematically create the gift shop um, is going to be joining us to talk about that as well. First, let's hear from Deb Moser. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Deb. You? What's fresh at market? Tell us. We haven't talked to you in three weeks, and I, I know. know so much is happening. I mean, we're in April. It's so hard to believe. It is hard to believe. And last weekend, we opened the spring market. So we are getting gearing up for another big season. And to do that, the farms start rolling back in. And when the farms roll back in, uh, such as Westmoreland Produce and FJ Medina, they come in early on with plants, herb plants, potted plants, hanging baskets. Well, so let me ask you, because I think, you know, a lot of us in the Mid-Atlantic region feel like April, like you're not supposed to plant before Mother's Day. That's like the old wives' tale. Is that because of climate change? Is that no longer true? Hey, that's a good point. My mother used to say that to me, and it always sticks in the back of my mind. Uh, you can plant earlier. We we are a little bit warmer. Uh, some of the hardier plants will take. We we should not have a frost again. So your plants are probably pretty safe to go. And you will see people in the next, this weekend, next weekend, start to really get those gardens going with all the herbs. And there's nothing better than having a culinary uh, garden right outside your kitchen door if you can do it. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. What are some of the things that you're seeing at market that are sort of new and exciting, like in the herb category? Because I feel like it's gone from just being like basil and oregano and mint. All of a sudden there's Thai basil and cinnamon basil. Right. 
Lemon and, you get, and you can get chocolate mint, which is amazing. I love that. Peppermint, other kinds of mint. And you're right. There are varieties of these herbs and they're growing them. The farmers are really cool. It's um, different than when you go to a hardware store to buy your plants. These plants are grown uh, specifically by, they might bring in some heirloom seeds and start growing them. Um, we have some heirloom tomato plants that are coming in. So you, you will find hardier and better plants at the farm market than you will at your discount store. That's amazing. So now just quickly, Deb, when you talk about opening the spring markets, what does that mean for everybody? That means that our whole lineup will be coming back. The winter markets are done and that's when the farms start to roll in. We do have some new people joining us um, and we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks, but we have big surprises in Vienna. We just had ProFish join us in, in Vienna. Cool. So we're going to have a huge assortment of fish down there. Yeah. And um, we have a lot of different vendors that will be coming to uh, Bethesda too. Um, so We'll talk about them. We'll introduce you to them. Some of them are very, very cool. And then Pike opens the end of April. Okay, great. All right, Deb, tell everybody where they can find info on all the markets, please. Centralfarmmarkets.com. Everything's there. And uh, we hope to see you at the markets. Okay, thanks, Deb. You know, Deb is busting out all over. Um, and, you know, I mean, their, their brunch is starting to happen and fundraisers and people eating out on patios, the, the, the area is coming to life again. What does that have to do with our next Well, event? I'm just, I'm going to, I'm just saying that all of a sudden the world seemed to be waking up. All right. Can you introduce Wesley, please? Yes. Wesley, where are you going? Come back. Come back. We see him on screen. There we go. Wesley is a, a co-founder and owner of Sweet Generis Cocktailers, uh, really born during the COVID summer of 2020 as a great way to host private events and, uh, and cocktail classes online and of course you're morphing now that the world is starting to open up so uh, what's your background so um, i'm originally from atlanta georgia um, i came up here in the winter of 2018 um, and took a position at Denson liquor bar and harold black two speakeasies here mm -hmm. in dc um, and kind of got the uh, broke my chops for the cocktail industry kind of learned the intricacies and, and everything with the different liqueurs. Um, and as we were going, um, COVID happened and shut down all of the mindful restaurant stores. Um, so we ended up converting one of the restaurants into a grocery. And while we were doing that, I was kind of volunteering my hours, but not really doing much. And my favorite part of bartending and cocktailing is the interaction and the, the personal connection you get with the customer, building a cocktail tailored towards what they're looking for towards their mood um so me and my partner thought i mean we haven't been shaking drinks for some months now we need to you know keep keep it fresh keep the skills going and what better way to do it than um, in a safe environment in the comfort of somebody's home bringing them the idea because a lot of people think that cocktails are hard so what we like to do is just show you that some household herbs limes and whatever spirit you have in your house can transform into a a brand new cocktail that you haven't thought about. Well, you can tell there's a lot of spirit in this house. What uh, what kind of cocktails are you putting together? So um, we I do we do classic cocktails as well as custom. Um, I have uh, a mezcal cocktail that I made um, yesterday for a class, um, mm -hmm. and it's combining mezcal, lime juice, fresh cilantro stalks, and uh, agave syrup 
So you're getting that nice, bright citrus marrying really well with that bright cilantro flavor. Um, and then you get this smoky undercurrent from the mezcal. And it all really works together. You know, I think for a lot of people, the fear with cocktails is balance, right? Creating the right yes. balance. You know, because like a gin and tonic is gin and tonic. But exactly. you can screw it up because if you don't understand yeah. the balance of the gin and how the tonic is supposed to be with it, and then there's the whole ice component because that's yeah. supposed to add its own thing to the cocktail. So how do you like, let's do like a little mini class. Like so, walk us through how that works. Of course. All right, so we'll actually make a cocktail while we're oh. on camera. Oh, I love that. So how I like to teach the class is in the middle, we give a breakdown of what we constitute as a good cocktail. Mm -hmm. So we break down the flavor profilers that we define in the industry of what a cocktail's makeup is. So first, uh, you always are looking for, like you said, a balance between the sour with the citrus, the sweet with whatever syrup you're going to do, and the balance because you, you want to taste the, the spirit itself, you want to savor that. You don't want to cover it up too much. So it's going to be the largest component in the cocktail. Well, so, I also think there's a lot of misconception out there that people want sweet drinks. And I mean, yes. sometimes I look at a cocktail and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get diabetes if I drink that because it just looks so <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's so, so sweet and syrupy. Yes. So um, I, I enjoy using syrups because you can distill so many flavors into a syrup. But in relation to the, the ratio in the cocktail, you only need about half an ounce to three quarters of an ounce of the syrup to give the cocktail that flavor. The other components are going to be uh, your various liqueurs, your base spirit, the gin, vodka, rum, whiskey, or um, tequila. That's going to be your main component. And then the syrup is going to be the lesser of it. It's just the, so syrup really, it smooths the flavors on the palate and makes the flavor last a little longer. Well, and so let me ask you, because there's so many, given what you've done during the pandemic and created your own cocktail business, we've also met so many people over the last year who were mixologists or bartenders or in the spirit industry, and now they're creating their own products. So do you source or do you create your own? And are there particular spirits, whether they're local, national, or boutique that you prefer using? So we haven't gotten into the partnerships with the specific distilleries and brands. Mm -hmm. um, but what we like to do is, so me and my partner, Mike, we come up with all the cocktails on our own. Mm -hmm. So we already, so having been bartenders for several years, our books are full of just the experiments that we've been making behind the bar. So we'll pull from those. And what we like to do is we like to ask um, the flavor profile and base spirit from whoever's coordinating the event. Um, so we'll get kind of a sense of how it, they wanted to play out. Like this last class that I did with Scott's Miracle Grow, um, they wanted um, agave as the, the center. And then in the conversation, she mentioned that she had had a spicy margarita that she really enjoyed. Uh -huh. So I took um, that idea and we ended up doing a spicy Paloma, some fresh muddled jalapenos, especially um, being that it's Scott's Miracle Grow, you want to do something from the earth. Right, right. I think you need to explain the Scott's Miracle Grow connection I, when you're done. I know. Because I'm going to go pour oh. this stuff on my lawn right, right. now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we did a spicy Paloma. So fresh grapefruit juice, the fresh jalapeno, the smoky mezcal, and a little bit of syrup. Again, you want to tone down that sweetness. 
mm-hmm. balance it out. And we just did it that way. Um, Cause it's, it, it comes from what the, what the customer, the guests, the patron, what they are feeling and what they, what they want in the drink. And then you kind of just like play with the flavors around that profile. Um, okay. So tell us quickly, we have two minutes instead mm-hmm. of making it, just walk us through it because it can be distracting sometimes. Tell us gotcha. what you're making and then we'll take a commercial break. Okay. So this is a cocktail that I made at Denson liquor bar in 2019. Mm-hmm. It's called the Umo Dellardine or smoke of the garden. Okay. So it's going to be comprised of um, one and a half ounces of our base spirit, which is mezcal, mm-hmm. 0.25 ounces of green chartreuse to give it that nice herbaceous backbone, mm. half an ounce of simple syrup, and half an ounce of lime juice. Yum. And then what we're going to do is we're going to add five to 10 um, fresh celery stalks, mm. um, leaves, Wait, and stems. Or leaves? Stalks or leaves? Both. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. Um, And then we're going to get that a nice vigorous shake for about seven to 10 seconds. And after that, we'll double strain because we don't really want all the the leaves and particulates floating around the cocktail. You want want it nice and and clean. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's going to give you a nice bright green hue. Um, On the nose, you're going to automatically get that cilantro. And then that first sip, you're going to get that nice smoky lime undercurrent. Excellent. All right, on that note, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, you're going to pour it, show it to us, and then we'll tell everybody how they can connect with you so you can make cocktails with them. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to our guest, Wesley Mannings. He's the owner of Sweet Generis Cocktailers. Uh, Wesley, just very quickly, you mentioned Scott's Miracle Grow while you were giving us the, you know, the little chatter about your cocktail. How does that, how do the two meet? (laughs) Um, through, uh, an acquaintance of my business partner, Mike, um, she was, she was, uh, part of the brand managing team. And, uh, during the COVID when everybody was locked down, she wanted something interactive that their associate board could do together. And, um, the idea of a cocktail or cooking class or something like that had floated around and we were the first ones to reach out. Um, and the first show was a litmus test, which, gave us the opportunity to be a part of their nationwide network of associates. So do you send, so if somebody wants to use your company, that cocktail looks gorgeous, Mm -hmm. by the way. If somebody wants to use (laughs) your company, do you send everything to them? Do you give them, like, just, we have a minute. Walk us through how you do it. Yes. So you can reach us at SweetGenerousCocktailers.com. Um, bookings are available on the website as well as our email, um, info at SweetGenerous.com and Instagram, SweetGenerousCocktailers, at SweetGenerousCocktailers. Um, but you'll contact us, um, let us know how many people, what day, and what spirits you're thinking of. Um, we will curate a, a cocktail list or a food menu for you. We'll provide you with an ingredients list and recipes detailing what you'll need to go get from the store. And we typically keep it as basic as possible. Maybe four or five items from the grocery store, quick and simple, cheap. And then we'll send you the Zoom link with the, um, with the information. We'll log on and have fun. Now we're transitioning. Nope, we got to go. I'm so sorry. <laughs> So, Wesley, thank you so much for joining us today. That cocktail looks amazing, and it seems like a really incredible way, even with COVID hopefully lighting up and the light being at the end of the tunnel. 
I think that this will be an extra revenue stream for everybody because now yes. you don't have to just do it in the bar. We can do it right. everywhere. It's fun to do long we'll, distance. We'll be in we'll be in backyard soon. Excellent. So keep Can't wait to hear more. Keep we'll have you in our backyard with Scott's Miracle Grow. Okay. Right. Okay, so up next is good friend Mike Curtin from hey, Mike. DC Central Kitchen. Hey Mike. Hello, how are you doing? So hey. we're doing well. When I when I did a little bit of the intro for you, I said that, you know, as as the head of DC Central Kitchen, you know, CEOs are used to the grip and grin, you know, hey, how are you? All the cocktail events and the fundraisers and to raise awareness of what you do and, and who it benefits, but also to raise mm -hmm. money. And you've been kind of locked down for a year. So we're interested to hear um, how DC Central Kitchen and you pivoted and then what you guys are doing now. Well, the truth is, is that we had you on a year ago, right? Yes. And now it's, and we were talking, like it was so crazy a year ago. I mean, everybody was like running and gunning. And so you have done so much. You've joined me on my other show, Industry Night, to keep me posted on like what you guys are doing. But if we could sort of do a year in review, that would be amazing. Sure. So, uh, yeah, it, it, as I say a lot, it, it's been a year. Uh, we've done more than we imagined we would do. We've done things that we didn't imagine that we would do uh, and in ways that we had never planned on doing. But overall, I have to say the most amazing uh, and beautiful, glorious part of this year has been seeing how the staff, our team, has reacted to this incredible uh, you know, pressure and challenge um, and, and done it in such an heroic ways. You know, there's been no hanging of heads, no wringing of hands, no saying like, why are we stuck here? When, when people are locked down, we're down in the basement of that shelter every single day. Um, over the last year, we've done about 3.6 million meals that we've put out into the community. We've packed and delivered over 2.2 and a quarter million pounds of fresh produce bags to our neighbors. Uh, it, it, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the other ways that the work we've done has had larger economic implications, but just seeing the team um, pull together and, and change the way we've done things for 32 years and really in 36 hours to do, to do individually packaged meals, to do this whole other process has been just spectacular uh, and incredibly life affirming. But that having been said, I'm quite ready for it to be over. Well, and, to, and to move back to where we were. Not a question, because um, a lot of the, you know, the, the, the outbound service uh, is to people who are homeless or really disadvantaged out there in mm -hmm. the world. And my, I, I just intuitively would think that the number of people you were trying to help probably doubled. Well, absolutely, David. And um, what we're, what we're going to see is the, the effects of this are gonna last far longer than when everyone gets a vaccination. I mean, that quite frankly, that's a fear that we have. The, the, the support that we've seen, the outpouring of, of philanthropy uh, and generosity from the community has been humbling and staggering and almost overwhelming at times. Uh, but once people get the vaccine, and as we're talking about cocktailing in backyards and getting out to restaurants and doing all these things that we all crave to do, uh, it's, it's going to be hard to remember that so many people have been pushed into poverty or into food insecurity. And as you said, that, that, that band of, of our neighbors who are food insecure has expanded exponentially. Uh, and, and that's not going to end anytime soon. Well, let's just talk about that for a second, because sort of like good news, bad news, food insecurity is now no longer on the fringes 
of our of our national conversation, right? We all saw a year ago, you know, the lines at the, um, you know, community banks, food banks, etc. It was a real wake up call. And obviously, with the change of governments as well, we now have people up there being like, yeah, food insecure, we're the richest nation in the world. Food insecurity right. is unacceptable. Right. So how do you at DC Central Kitchen, I mean, there's so many people out there like with ideas. How do right. you guys fit into that narrative? Sure, well, and that's an awesome point, Nikki. And um, and, and you know, really it's, it's the discussion that we've been pushing forward and wanting to have for 32 years. The kitchen has never been about food. It's been about our, our meals. The question has always been, why do people need meals? Like, why, why do we, as you said, in the richest country in the world, in one of the richest cities in the right. richest country in the world, why are 25% of our population and one in three children hungry? That's criminal. Uh, so now you're right. That, that is much more in, in people's, in the forefront. But what, what's been interesting um, and, and in a way hopeful, yet, yet tragic that it had to happen this way is with the racial awaken, awakening and reckoning that we are dealing with now and back in the middle of because of the, the George Floyd murder trial um, is is really that this is what's behind hunger, right? It, it's 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 structural racism, it's systemic and in, in economic inequality. Uh, and those are the issues that the kitchen and others have been working towards or working to uh, bring bring to light to, to and, and to uh, you know, tr tr try to overcome more than hunger. You know, we're not going to feed our way out of hunger. There's always going to be hunger as long as there's poverty and, and inequity. Uh, and, and so I, I, I'm hopeful that as we are more comfortable having this discussion and recognizing these realities, we, we can get to a better place. Uh, but as long as we were just thinking like, oh, as long as we give away free food, we don't have to deal with racism. Right. right. You know, that's never going to get us anywhere. So yeah. now we're, we're in an interesting place. Yeah. Well, so but you bring up the key that maybe a lot of people who thought, oh, well, you know, I support DC Central Kitchen. I write a check to them. Do you know what I mean? I go to their big events every year and I mm -hmm. buy things and you know, I support them. But you brought up a really important point, which is poverty. And, you know, people don't choose to be poor. I mean, there's mental health. That's, a, you know, homelessness. Sure. Mental mm -hmm. health. That's a whole other segment we can't get into. But poverty, we can. And I, it's addressing those who are stuck in poverty and making sure that they have access, not just to food, but to growth? I mean, I guess that's my question. Like, how do, how do we, who want to be helpful, help? Well, so, so, so first, I think the first thing is to, is to recognize and acknowledge there is a problem, right? You know, yes, there is structural racism in our country that has led, that led us to where we are, okay? That doesn't mean that by our acknowledgement means uh, guilt necessarily by association, but said, we're not going to fix something if we don't recognize that there's a problem. So, so we recognize that. And then we invest, invest in, in organizations like DC Central Kitchen that are working not just to feed people, but providing individuals with the tools to, so they can attain self-sustainability self uh, to, to become the people that we all want ourselves to be, where they can support not only themselves, but their families and contribute to the community. Well, we, work, we work with folks that have had these incredible barriers to employment, like histories of incarceration, of, of addiction, of trafficking, of abuse, of homelessness, of other traumas, uh, to, to, overcome, to overcome those issues, to get to uh, not only to get a job, but to get a good job, to start a career, and, and to, to be on that, that pathway to, um, again, 
liberation opportunity, self self supporting, um, uh, you know, families, uh, and and thereby breaking the cycle of hunger and poverty, which is ultimately what we're all about. Well, I'm curious to know if, based on it's just just a question of your observations. You know, I saw a really stark piece of film at the start of this, in one of those food lines where people were pulling up in their cars, and there was a Mercedes S class. Yeah. Right in the center of the foot, you know, when people getting, you know, a bag of food for a week. And I'm wondering if, because I think racism is, you know, at the key of, you know, you know, whether or not somebody feels like they should contribute and give. If um, having experienced that, a lot of white folks, mm -hmm. a lot of folks who, who, you know, there are a lot of people making a lot of money who live right on the edge, you know. Absolutely. They spend what they make. If, if you're getting a sense that that has uh, eaten into you'll pardon the pun, eaten mm -hmm. into that whole issue of racism and that whole issue of sort of not understanding the have-nots. Well, I, I hope so, you know, and, and, you know, it's interesting, David, one of the things that over the years, and I've been at the kitchen now for over 16 years, and one of the, one, the I get the question, you know, what is your biggest fear? What do you have to overcome? Um, is is, is the, the failure to believe or, or, or the, sometimes the widespread belief that if someone is hungry or if someone uh, is unemployed, it's their fault. Right. right. They're lazy. Right. Um, that is just simply not true. The, 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 the idea that this crazy idea that the American dream exists for everyone, like it's a commodity on a shelf in a store, you can walk in and say, please, I would like some American dream. Thank you. And, and, and if you look like someone like me, who's had the, the privilege and the opportunities that I have, that may be true. But it, it's certainly not true for many uh, of folks that I've grown up or work with, many of my colleagues that, that you know, grew up just a couple miles from me over in Southeast DC or east of the Anacostia River. Uh, so, so to your point, David, I, we are hopeful again that as, as, as this pandemic has leveled the playing field in so many unpredictable ways, uh, I do hope that there's a wider recognition of the tenuousness of, of where we all are. Oh, just quickly, Mike, I, I, mm -hmm. I want to ask now, now that restaurants are reopening, I mean, mm -hmm. part of DC Central Kitchen's initial mission was training. Yes. And that had to go away because there was nothing to train them for right. because they were, right. they were Now we're back. And I mean, I can't tell you how many text messages I'm getting. Like, who do you know? What do you know? We need front of the house. We need back of the house. We need right. everybody. So like, how are you guys going to re-enter that and start training yeah. again because there's such need. Yes, absolutely. We can't wait to get back to training. As you said, that is our mission. That is the heart and soul of who we are, what we're all about. Uh, we have been in touch with a lot of our friends out there in the restaurant community. Uh, we're keeping in touch with our graduates who are displaced. We're some of uh, uh, the, the uh, you know, folks that we've worked with for years that uh, so we can plug them in with restaurants. So that's a big part of what we're doing. We weren't able to train but over the last year, we've we've really worked hard to maintain communication and stay engaged with our graduates so that we could plug them back in. And uh, when it's safe and smart to do it, we can't wait to get back to training and start feeding folks into this, what will be a revitalized restaurant and hospitality industry uh, that we, we all want to celebrate in this city. We can't wait. Mike, I, I, I could always talk to you for hours. You're <laughs> so, like, everything you do is so amazing and so exciting. And DC Central Kitchen is such a core part of this city. Um, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can help, uh, and we'll have you back on soon, you know it. Sure, well, you guys are awesome. David, Nikki, thank you so much for all your support over the years. DCCentralKitchen.org, 
uh, go on. Uh, I, I usually would say come in and volunteer with us. That's not, we can't do that right now, but you can, you can donate and support our work now and our work into the future. We're going to need it again, long after we're all vaccinated. All right. Thanks, Mike. This is David and Nikki Nels with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We mentioned earlier in the show that with the COVID uh, crisis, the pandemic, that uh, a lot of restaurants in the DC area had a lot of trouble and some didn't survive. Um, And so it's very brave and very exciting to see not only a restaurant opening here in town, but one of such national repute already. Uh, Yardbird Southern Table and Bar is a James Beard nominated Miami-based American restaurant. It just opened at 901 New York Avenue. And we are happy to have the executive corporate chef Patrick Rebholtz on with us. He's going to tell us all about it. Patrick, welcome to Foodie and the Beast. Thanks for having me. Hey, Patrick. So um, for people who don't know that address, it's where Acadiana used to be, um, right near the city center and the convention center. So um, Patrick, tell us a little bit. I mean, some people have had the pleasure of dining in Yardbird out of Miami. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the initial concept. So to be specific, it's 901 New York Avenue. Um, Mm -hmm. If you guys are coming down right on the corner. Arcadia, what a what a great spot, and we, we're yeah. you know we're excited to take it over. Um, you know, originating in uh, South Florida on Miami Beach, we uh, our our founder and uh, CEO John Kunkel uh, had the idea to serve his grandmother's fried chicken recipe to all the uh, beachgoers in bikinis and swimsuits, and it uh, it, it became a hit. And uh, you know, it's just kind of uh, a place where we pay homage to um, all regional um ingredients uh, specifically the american south so it's, it's a fun little spot now how old is the restaurant uh going on 10 years now okay so how do you go from this like miami you know cool bikini <laughs> blah 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 serving i mean serving fried chicken to the bikini set you know check that's a pretty cool thing to do um but how do you go from taking this southern food concept in Miami, making it super hot and sexy, and then deciding to roll it out in other places. What? How did you guys decide on that? You know, our core, you know, kind of whimsical uh, food that we have that people have grown to really love, um, we keep. But I think it's important that regionally, we like to highlight as much as possible, whether we're in, you know, Las Vegas Strip or, you know, in uh, Dallas, uh, Texas, or uh, our new venture in D.C. And how do you come to those cities and join those cities? You know, like Vegas is Vegas, right? You don't have to fit in there because nobody cares. They know your name. They're going to go to you there. Dallas is a little hinky as well. But D.C., we're a tough market. We like to be treated like we're special. And uh, it's, we are not kind to outsiders. So how yeah. do you come to this area and create a space for yourself? No, no, you're right. You're right. You know, and, and we like to really dive into... Uh, the best areas, you know, a a real estate that you guys are and where we are. And we're we're really excited to be there. But it's kind of like, you know, our venture in Singapore, you know, we we dove in uh, headfirst and, you know, it was a lot of R&D. Myself and the executive team has spent uh, a lifetime, it seems like, in the D.C. area, really trying to get to know the customers, but more importantly, the employees and just the walk of life. You know, obviously during COVID, that was difficult, but uh, we really made a big effort in making sure that we were uh, fully submerged in the culture. And I think that really helped us. And what did you find? Like, were you like, okay, we have to, there are things on the menu 
that are really like, you know, blowed out of the park of Miami, but maybe it's not going to hit in DC the same way. Like, how did you find, how did you uh, sort of curate your menu to uh, reflect the, the DC market? Well, th thank you, by the way. You have awesome restaurants there. And we had a blast doing so. Um, <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's, it's approachability. You know, um, our, our area is definitely going to cater to that lunch crowd we're excited for. Um, I think we checked the box in the dinner, but I think just bringing in some local products that are approachable um, from Rappahannock uh, oysters to soft shell crabs and, you know, more approachable uh, items like that. And I think that was really what helped us out um, the first couple of weeks on, on, a, on a home run with the, the locals. And how was it opening up in the middle of the pandemic? I mean, what's your patio space like? Like, did you have to really uh, build that out? And, um, you know, like unexpectedly, like, did you already plan on having a massive patio? And did you have to add in all these COVID restrictions? Because, I mean, your original Miami didn't have to do nearly as much as you have to do here. So how did you make that happen? Right. So, you know, we got some practice. We, we opened um, in fall in Dallas, um, which was uh, an effort in itself. Um, but yeah, we, we have a bit of an expanded um, patio. Um, it was a bit difficult and I think it's more of a slow process and that's what we want to concentrate on. We want to make sure that first and foremost, our employees are super comfortable um, and that we're following all of the restrictions that we have so that our customers in turn also feel um, comfortable, but then they also commit themselves to us. So we have outside dining, you know, we, you know we're spaced inside, obviously the the small amount of um, the 25% commitment. Um, and we're just going to take it slow. And, and as it opens up and as people get more comfortable, um, we're there. And we're just super excited to get that hospitality back. The, that, the, what enjoy, I enjoy is the, the clanging of the silverware, the, you know, the hum of people having conversations again. And well, I think that's almost- okay. We all want it. I mean, it's not like we don't want it. We're sick of talking to each other. I mean, I we all that, right? want it. I mean, you know, and it's, and it's, listen, we were out the other night and we sat outside and we masked up and we did our thing. I mean, we're in it to win it because the light is at the end of the tunnel. Um, okay. But I'm just sort of curious, let's just tell people a little bit more about what they can dine on here your chef is chris watson um he's a he worked with fabio for a little bit right 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 super talented guy um he brings a lot to the table i think um with our approachability in dc having him on board and you know bringing in local people that understand um the market whether it be food or customers was really important for us and he's really brought a lot to the table well, um, you know, that, what's really important in dc when it comes to chefs leading kitchens is that we have, an, as you know, since you've been hanging out here, you know, we have an incredible chef culture and uh, this group, men and women all know each other and 90% of them play really well in the mail, uh, in the sandbox together. There's always that 10%, you know, that just right. doesn't, doesn't get along with the crew. Uh, but, uh, and that is absolutely necessary at your restaurant, especially if you're coming from out of town, because these guys eat, uh, guys and girls, I'm sorry, eat out, drink out, tell people where to go and what to do. They vacation together. Yeah, it's I crazy. mean, it's such <laughs> a, you know, and listen, we, we're a part of it. So we love this community and having a local chef is so important because he knows how it works. Yeah, and you know, the, the fishmongers and the produce that he was able to source 
mm-hmm. super important. Um, and just it was a deep dive, you know, the R&D trip prior to and the building throughout COVID. And then the experience with Chef Watson um, has really been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I thought I had it dialed in, but he really roped it in and, and gave me a lay of the land. So uh, I further understand what, what's going on in the market. And let's talk about your other programs. So you have a menu, uh, Southern based, uh, given you're originally from Miami, I assume there's an amazing cocktail program. And, and what's your ambiance there? I mean, it's not going to feel like Miami on the beach. So how are you? Oh, back no, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful build out. Um, mm-hmm. Our whiskey bourbon list is like 90 plus. Um, so, you know, after, after work, um, lunch, you know, happy hour, you know, come for a late drink. It's, it's really amazing. Um, brunch, the juice programs is outstanding. What is that? Um, what's that? Tell me about the juice program. What is it? Uh, so, you know, fresh squeezed juices, it's, it's mostly for uh, lunch and brunch. Uh, mm-hmm. But my personal favorite is turmeric tonic with a little fresh cracked black pepper on top. Um, it's a great boost, um, you know, healthy little jump start, if you would. Um, I think we took a lot lighter of approach in lunch with a bunch of salads with proteins, uh, very approachable. Um, and then soft shell crabs came into the market uh, starting this week, which I think, I think we all are, are very excited about. Why didn't well, you bring some to the show? What's the matter with you? I know. Well, there was a time where you would have, but right. not right now. So one right. of the things I want to say, especially about lunch, and it is my pet peeve as an eater, Mm-hmm. and being female but i do i love salads but i like a really good composed salad that isn't just a caesar with a piece of salmon on it like i look at that i'm like nobody's thinking of me like i want something that's going to feed me but not stop me from getting through my day so do you have mm-hmm. like a salad for nikki nellis we have so many big wins on that standpoint okay. Our protein power bowl is probably the most filling thing i've ever eaten in my entire life uh-huh. um but super healthy and it'll get you through the day um, Chef Watson just rolled out uh, a toad in a, toad in a hole, so a fried um, sunny up egg and a crouton is a, our spin on a Caesar. Yeah. Um, and then, and then uh, his uh, the the olive uh, crusted uh, North Carolina black bass uh, on top of watercress is is probably my favorite lunch dish and okay. entree. I All am right. so cool to come in and check it out. We have to wrap it up. We have so- to wrap up very quickly. Why Yardbird? What does that name mean? Oh, it's, it's the inspiration of Southern cooking. You guys got to come down and see us soon. Okay. We can't wait. Thank you so much, Chef. This is David and Nikki Nellis. We are wrapping up with Yardbird, but when we come back, we're talking about the gift shop. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we are joined by Gary Williams, Jr., and Gary is he's a creative force. He's an entrepreneur. He's lots of things. Uh, he's the founder of the Creative Theory Marketing Agency, and he is also the... Um, Albert Einstein, I guess, behind the gift shop, which is Washington's first retailer for discovering and appreciating uh, Black-owned lifestyle and home goods brands and makers. Uh, it opened in Union Market in February, and it's a hit. And Union we, Market District. Union Not Market in District, Union Market, sorry. Union Market on, District. On 4th Street. 4th Street. Okay. Hey. So, we, so we want to get Gary on here and talk all about him and it. Hi. Hi, Gary. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you, first of all, for having me. This is incredible. I'm so glad that I get to share a little bit about what we're doing with you all in your audience. So very happy to be here and thank you for well, having me. Well, we're delighted to have you. And actually we were put together by Eric Brunner Yang, who I have to give a shout out yes, to. Yes. We bring up his name on every show. If you listen regularly, um, you should drink now because we said Eric Brunner Yang. <laughs> we refer to him as the third stooge. Yes. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, Eric is Eric is incredible, as you all know. When you talk about community and really galvanizing and supporting your your community, Eric is like the poster child for that, and just his support across the board in DC um, for creatives, uh, for just the culinary um, space, uh, it's it's just invaluable. So, yes, yeah, shouts out to Eric, uh, and thank you for all you do, Eric. If you're listening, okay. So, tell us about you and your agency and the gift shop like how did this all come to be yeah i'll try to give you a a kind of a short story right since we don't have that much time but basically um i uh, came from creative industry so i uh, went to school for film and photography when i got out of school i was doing graphic design for a defense a defense contractor for seven years but on the side i was moonlighting doing my own creative thing you know just keeping my creative juices flowing in the midst of that i got laid off after seven years and decided to do my own thing as a creative and content creator that um step or leap that i took there with not going back i can get in the nine to five really opened up doors for me because i began to get a lot of clients build my build my portfolio um, and just land some major work that kind of put me on a map and work with like Nike and Marriott and brands like that, that kind of, uh, again, put my name on the map a, a bit. Um, started making some waves on Instagram as well. I don't want to discredit that. That helped as well. But in the midst of that, I was working um, and I ran into my business partner, my now business partner, Taman, who, you know, we were kind of doing similar things. Um, he was a photographer, but was getting his MBA here at UDC. Uh, but we were finding that we found that we had similar experiences within the industry around representation, right? Um, and, and you know, being the last one to be called to certain projects, or when we got to the table, we didn't see people that look like us. But they are often marketing to folks that look like us. So we noticed there was a little bit of a gap there. Instead of fighting uh, to get at the table all the time, we decided to build our own table. Uh, one with the with the thought in mind that if we were going to create something bigger than ourselves, we had to bring our community along with us. And we knew our community was very talented, um, but just didn't get the opportunities that like creative cities like LA or New York or, you know, Chicago or, you know, some of these larger, more notable creative cities, they get a lot of the opportunities and people kind of skip over DC just because they think it's a, you know, obviously it is, it's a political um kind of uh area but that's dc sort of gets dissed for not having culture right but it has you we have a very very rich rich culture yeah honestly that's on them like if they don't know we have culture here exactly seriously we know it's here and it's growing and getting bigger yes we're with you okay so yeah so part of that is like we knew that culture was here and we wanted to one amplify and uh, and elevate that culture and tap into it because the talent is here the 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 community is here um and so that was that was part of it right so um that's how creative theory agency got started in 2015 and from you know the inception again we were always thinking about how do we bring our community to the forefront how can we amplify support and elevate our community and gift shop, although it wasn't gift shop back then, it was going to be sort of this co-working um, space of workshops that we could provide and things like like that to the community. But then, you know, with the kind of racial awakening that's happened in the last two years with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the heightened, um, you know, awareness around the Black community, we thought this was a perfect time to really um, showcase a lot of the makers and creators here in the DMV area. Uh, and give them another opportunity and another space 
to showcase them and elevate them to a, to a whole new audience, really. Some of these creators or most of these merchants only have e-commerce. So a brick and mortar experience is something that they never thought was possible or just that they never um, could see themselves having. And uh, you know, with this, we are giving them that opportunity for people to experience their product in a whole different realm. Right. Well, so let's talk about that. Are you considering the gift shop a little bit of an incubator? Are you helping take these makers, you know, like so, a S hall or union yeah. kitchen side? Like, are you helping these makers? Listen, online commerce makes a lot of sense, and going brick and mortar is yeah. tough. So, being in a almost like a a co a co working space makes a lot of sense. Yes. Are you helping them blow up? Blow. Are you helping them make the next steps or is you're like, no, we're just showcasing them. That's on that. Yeah. So we, we, we try to stay away from incubator because I think, I think there's a few more steps after us or a few more steps that need to be done for it to be an incubator space. I think what you said, it is more of a showcasing uh, situation because we are actually, we're bringing brands in and out. So there, you know, some brands come in for a certain amount of time and then we swap out to give another brand an opportunity to showcase in the space. So we see it more as a showcase. We don't have an e-commerce site for the, for gift shop for the sole purpose that we want people to come in and experience these products and then go directly to these merchant sites to, to purchase the products, but right? If you actually oh, are so trying to make the relationship yes, not yes. between us and the store, but us and the artisan. Exactly, exactly. Well, so that's it, what I was going to ask. So yeah. is it a retail store? Can we buy stuff there? Or is yeah. it really? Okay. Yes, yeah, so you can buy stuff there. Um, but the again, it's, it's not, it, it, I would say this, if it incubates a business, that's great. But the purpose is not to necessarily go full on that full on incubating process, right? So this is, hey, we have, an, we have a space. If you want to showcase your space and also sell your things in this space and another experience outside of your e-commerce, this is where you do that. This is where you introduce your brand in a tangible way to the community and to an audience that may not necessarily know about you, um, but they can get to know you here. And then hopefully outside of gift shop, they can go and support you on your e-commerce site uh, of business, right? So that's, that's what it is. Well, and so how do you go about curating that space and and what's the sort of relationship like like let's say like i saw you have like these fabulous glasses right yes. you have this woman who's doing amazing things Incredible. so she's doing well people love that stuff are you like we're gonna keep her yeah but this person who's doing let's say frames or you know mm -hmm. key paints or jewelry they did great but now it's time to bring in another like how do you how do you curate and bring in and bring out in a way that's successful for your concept and so right now, yeah, great, great question. So right now we're, we're swapping out on a quarterly basis, right? So we'll have a certain set, we call it cohort, however you want to call it, a certain set of um, artisans, merchants uh, each quarter. And then we'll assess at the end of each quarter, if someone's doing well and we feel like there's a demand there, you know, we'll have a conversation to keep them in a little bit longer. Um, but usually we have, we have people waiting to get in for that next quarter, right? So in order to, to be fair and to provide opportunities for, for everyone, we, we try to just keep the swap out um, consistent. And it, it doesn't mean if you've been in one time, that doesn't mean you can't come back in, right? But we're trying to make sure everybody, um, you know, feels valued and gets an opportunity within the space. Great. Well, so one of the things I was going to ask is whether or not there is any talk of Eden's traveling this concept to some of their other properties. 
It is. You know, the crazy thing is that we didn't even envision uh, this going outside of D.C., all right. Um, this is something that we really wanted to do for our immediate community because they've been so supportive of us and have helped us get our agency to where it is. So but literally the first week we opened up, we got three emails from folks uh, who said, hey, can you bring this concept to Miami? Can you bring this concept to Richmond? I'm just thinking where like. Yes, Eden Richmond. Did, yeah, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. Eden it's has, you know, they Love them or hate them. They are visionaries. Yes. You have these properties. Um, listen, we have to wrap up. I know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so much good stuff to share. And I just want to let everybody know uh, Gary and his team are joining me on industry night for next Tuesday night. So uh, stay tuned for details on that. Um, Gary, tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find the gift shop, please. Of course. So you can find me uh, on all socials at Master Williams. That's M-A-S-T-E-R-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. You can find gift shop at this here gift shop on Instagram. Um, and then creative theory slash uh, gift shop on the internet. But socials is probably the best way to catch me or anything that's happening within the gift shop. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Gary. Thank you. Back in and uh, see what you guys have in next. Of course. Thank um, you so, so much. As we wrap up this week's show, I just want to remind people of a couple of things that are happening in and around the DC area. Obviously, go to the list, are you on it.com? It'll keep you up to date on absolutely everything, as well as follow me at NYCE. N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So um, everybody knows what's happening with uh, the horrible um, attacks on American Asians and Pacific Islanders. And of course, the chef community here is 100% willing to beat that down. So Danny Lee is doing a huge dinner at Anju in April, and he's supporting Embrace Race, an amazing charity. Please check it out. If you can't do the dinner, please consider donating. And Tim Ma and Kevin Tian, both good friends of the show, uh, have a variety of dinners that they are doing throughout April. And that's Chefs Against AAPI Hate. Check it out on Instagram and online. Again, if you can purchase a dinner, please do. We're doing one tomorrow. Uh, but if not, please donate. There's such important causes. And, you know, we need to eradicate hate. Lastly, I want to remind everybody on a positive note, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We're so excited. Uh, more restaurants are reopening. Patios are getting totally decked out. And um, there are amazing brunches. All of that is there for you on the website. Uh, so please check that out. Again, we want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. A really good show. Uh, spring is here. Yay. The pandemic is almost over. Mm. But even if you're vaccinated, wear a mask, hand sanitize, keep your distance, just be polite. And uh, especially to those employees in restaurants and small retail. And uh, we'll be here next week. So have a good one.